I have a yin and a yang. Now I have, if there's like a, a hard charging, you know, sales minded person partnering with another hard charging sales minded person, sometimes that's not the best formula. Sometimes you need sales with operations, you know, and that's a better formula. And, and I got my paperwork on point and I understood banking a lot better. I created my personal core values, which I'm more than happy to share with you if you'd like, but all of those things came out of that one experience. Every business is unique, but the ups and downs we experience as we launch and run our businesses are pretty similar. We're Harmon Brothers, the team behind Pooping Unicorns and other weird but successful video ads you've probably seen. We help businesses grow through unforgettable video marketing, and we're no stranger to tricky situations. We embrace them. The goal of this podcast is to show how your crappy circumstances could be the golden opportunity that leads to your next success. You're listening to Poop to Gold. Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. This is Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Today I have a very special guest with me. I have Cody Sperber of Clever Investor. Welcome to the show, Cody. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's do it. Yeah, tell us what is Clever Investor? We're a real estate investing education and software company based in Tempe, Arizona, teaching people how to do creative real estate investing so they can break free of the rat race and live life on their own terms and feel like a lot of people want to get into real estate. They just don't know how and they uh -huh. feel like it's very complicated. So we take a complicated feeling concept and simplify it and make it fun and engaging. So a lot of people come to us because our training is high impact and fun to watch and got great software and data and help a lot of people out. So what was your journey? How did you end up building Clever Investor? Um, actually, I, I didn't want to be a real estate investor. I actually wanted to be a ninth grade history teacher or a marine yeah. biologist, but then I joined the, uh, the Navy coming. I didn't want to go to college. I was really kind of not ready for that. And so I followed my father's footsteps. I went into the Navy and I got violently seasick. So my dream of being a marine biologist went out the window. And then after the military, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I went and talked to a history professor to kind of fill that out. And I asked him one important question, which is how much money do you make? And he kind of let out a big, big laugh. He was like, oh man, I got to take a second job in order to pay the bills. And that was shocking. So I was like, oh no, that sucks. Uh, so I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I was in college at the time and a friend of mine named Jeremy pulls up to a lunch meeting that we were going to have, like a, a lunch, I guess you can call it a lunch date. We we're having a lunch date and he pulls up in a brand new Mercedes. And I was like, dude, how did you get the new car? Like, that's amazing. And he goes, I flipped the house and I made $80,000. And I, my mind was blown because he had no money. I was like, I thought you needed to have deep pockets to do that. I thought you needed connections. I thought you needed a real estate license. I thought only rich people did real estate. And here, my friend, Jeremy, who I was partying with and having a good time with no money made all this money. And so uh, he actually penciled it out on a napkin, this concept called wholesaling, which is no money down real estate investing. And that's, that was my gateway to getting into the business. I took the napkin home with me and I studied it. And this was 16 plus years ago, no YouTube university, no podcast, no <laughs> education online. And so I used to have to fly all over the country and try to figure out from these gurus, right? What it is, how it worked what to do. And uh, yeah, that's how I got into the business. Nine months, no deals, massive credit card debt, totally struggling and stressing out. I actually quit around my ninth month mark, went and got a job as a bookkeeper. And then <laughs> that lasted about three months. I hated book. I actually lied on my application. I, I told him I knew how to do books. And I went and bought the bookkeeping for dummies book when they told me I had the job. And so I read that the night before I showed up at the job. And that lasted about three months before I was completely miserable. And I went to one more seminar reluctantly, just because a friend of mine kind of dragged me there. And it was there that I met um, my very first 
real estate mentor named Lyle. Lyle really helped me get my first deal, changed my life. And the rest is history. Now I've done thousands of deals. That first one was a big one because it, it took, you know, almost a year, a little over a year of struggling, trying to pull it all together. And then finally, I found somebody that could teach me things you can't learn in books. And he finally, I finally got, got there. And I, I did that first deal and I never looked back and I started off wholesaling. Then I got into rehabbing, which is like what you see on TV. And then I started buying rental property and I started building wealth. And now, uh, 16 years later, I'm, I'm known as a clever investor and teaching people all over the country how to do it for themselves. Super cool. So 16 years ago, and 04, sounds like when you were getting started, yep. what uh, what was 08 like for you? What's funny is at the time we didn't know what was going on. So there was a, a weird period where I had about 14 or 15 deals in escrow that were getting ready to close. And then Lehman Brothers crashed and all this stuff was going on and all the money left the market. It felt like all the oxygen got sucked uh-huh. out of, of the air and everything froze for about four or five months. And it was, it was a little bit of panic in the streets. But then a couple of us early adopters started popping our heads back up and looking around. And I had another friend that I was having lunch with. I just need to have lunch with more people. It seems like that's where I get all my best info. <laughs> so I had lunch with another friend and he's like, I went down to the foreclosure auction and I bought this house that in 2006 was brand new. And now it's 2000 and the end of 2008, 2009 at the time. And he goes, I bought it for $19,000. It was a $160,000 house. Wow. And I was blown away. I'm like, wait a second, you can buy that down at the auction? And he goes, yeah, you just need to have cash. So just to kind of follow in the poop to gold formula, I went down to the auction having no clue what I was doing. And I bid on the house and I lost my $10,000 bid because I didn't know what I was doing. That was my introduction to auctions, but wait, th- wait, that can happen. You, you just lost $10,000 and didn't get a house yeah. in exchange. So the way it works in Arizona is like the auctioneer comes out and they like, they start auctioning off properties and you have to, sh- in order to bid, you have to have a $10,000 cashier's check. So I showed up with 10 grand thinking, okay, I'm just going to bid on a property. And then if you win, you give them the $10,000. And then by five o'clock the next day, you got to show up and pay off the remaining balance. So if the bid is, if, if you win the bid for say $30,000, I put up 10 and I got to come the next day with 20. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't know that when they auction these things off, sometimes they auction off a first lien position. Sometimes they auction off a second lien position or a third lien position. And that just means like the lenders, you know, and it goes in order. So like if they auction off a second lien, you inherit whatever the first lien is, even though you bought the second lien. So that's what I did. I, I bid thinking that I was going to win this smoking great deal. And I bid and I actually was bidding on a, a second, not knowing that I'm inheriting a first. Oh, no. Instead of coming the next day with the remaining balance, which would have put me negative in the property. I just walked away from the 10 grand. So that, that was my intro to auctions, but I learned from it, came back and it was actually great. I did about 1500 houses down at the foreclosure auctions over the next four or five years. Wow. Got rich. I mean, that, that really, it really changed my life. I mean, we created a whole operation where we had drivers driving foreclosure properties and we were bidding down at the auction every day. I would buy sometimes two, three houses in a day. And it got to such a insane point where I was flying to Canada and putting on like little mini workshops because at the time the Canadian dollar was so strong against the American dollar that Canadians were just flooding in trying to buy up all our real estate. So I probably sold 50, 60 Canadians, you know, hundreds of houses each. They love me now. They, they see, they're smart. 
they're good with money. They kept all the houses. I was buying them and flipping them for a quick 10 grand or 15 grand. So at the time I'm thinking I'm a young guy, I'm making all this money every day. You go to work, you come back with 30 grand in profit. I'm thinking this is great. It's never going to end. Well, it did end. I paid huge tax bills on that money and the uh -huh. Canadians kept all the dang houses. And now they send me Christmas cards every single year saying, thank you so much. You, you set us free. <laughs> if you had wanted to hold on to those houses, would you have been able to cash flow them? Oh yeah. See, here's the thing about real estate. It's kind of like, especially when you're buying in those working class neighborhoods, like a lot of the houses mm -hmm. we were buying where I was paying 30, 40, 50 grand for a house that a year earlier was 150 to 250. Wow. So, I mean, th think of that, that math. And when you buy in those working class neighborhoods, rents don't go up and down dramatically, even though house prices sometimes do. That's why you always want to buy by the median. And so for me, I buy a 35,000 or $45,000 house. Now at the time they were kicking the crap out of these houses. So like you had to go in and put another 10 or 15,000 to get it back because they would steal the copper plumbing and gut the place. But even if you're all in at say 55,000, it would still rent for a thousand to 1200 bucks. So whether it's yeah, 55,000 or 150,000, yeah. it still rents for 1200 bucks. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, th the value of all the properties certainly came back with a vengeance. So yeah, I can see why those Canadians are very happy. Okay. Let's, uh, l let's go back in time, Cody. We, we just talked about 08, um, but it sounded like it ended up actually being very good for your career because you were able to figure out how to bid on those, you know, those foreclosed properties. But take us to a moment when it didn't go well. Take us to, take us to your poop moment where it got really dark and, and you didn't know how you were going to get through. I've had so many of them. You know, you go into this uh, entrepreneurship world so blind and naive. It's kind of a blessing, really. If you look back, I, I don't know if I would have been tough enough to handle it, knowing that I was going to have contractors steal all my money and I was going to have, you know, bid on seconds and lose $10,000, $20,000. I, I had a partnership fall apart one time with this lady who I didn't know was going through a divorce. She kept all her private life private, but we had this partnership. We were working short sales and, and foreclosures and stuff together. And we closed on a couple deals and she lied to me. She said, Hey, Cody, I need you to go down to the title company and sign. And I went down to the title company and they go, well, you don't have to sign for anything. It's already all been signed yesterday. And I said, oh, okay, well, where's the money? And it was about $70,000. And I said, where's the money? And they said, well, we wired it to the bank account. Well, we had a co-bank account and I didn't understand at the time that I should have had it to where the partners both equally had to sign for larger withdrawals. Mm -hmm. She went and cleared out the bank account and, and called me up while I was distracted going down to the title company and said, hey, I'm going through divorce. I'm quitting real estate. I'm taking the money. I'm out. Oh, you know, no. So she, it was infuriating. And it's, you feel helpless, you know, you feel like the injustice, like you're just enraged. And I was telling my wife, I'm going to go kick her butt. I'm going to, I'm going to sue her. I'm going to do all this stuff. And she's like, you're not going to do anything. You know, that's, that's you just need to move on. And uh, so moments like that. Let's talk about that, that decision really quick. So we, we've actually had a handful of experiences too, where we had to make a decision between, do we want to fight or do we want to move on? And, and I want to hear what went into your decision. Um, I just, you know, I have a certain set of core values that I try to live my life by. I mean, I, my challenge is, and the reason I'm probably a good entrepreneur is I hate being controlled. I dislike injustices very, like it really bothers me. I can't sleep. I just go crazy. And so I really struggled with that. That was my first big one, actually, where I was just going crazy for like four or five days. I couldn't sleep. I was looping. I think it, my wife really 
talked me off the cliff and helped me calm back down and helped me just create, you know, uh, a vision for the future where she was like, look, you're better off without her. It's, it's, this is actually a blessing. You're, you're paying her to go away. And, uh, so I struggled with that. And then I actually, after that, I sat down and I created some core personal core values for myself that I've lived by ever since then. Um, and I find like every time that a moment like that in my life has happened, I've always just tried to have this bounce back spirit and come back better and stronger. And now I had to step back. Now I have my documents on point. I don't go into partnerships with a yin and a, a yin and a yin. I have a yin and a yang. Now I have, if there's like a, a hard charging, you know, sales minded person partnering with another hard charging sales minded person, sometimes that's not the best formula. Sometimes you need sales with operations, you know, and that's a better formula. And, and I got my paperwork on point and I understood banking a lot better. I created my personal core values, which I'm more than happy to share with you if you'd like, but all of those things came out of that one experience. Yeah. It, it's interesting because when we have been faced with similar decisions around, Hey, there's this big injustice that was just done to us. And now we have to make a decision. Do we want to go fight that and try to be made whole, you know, through, through the courts or whatever versus do we just want to move forward and build? What we kind of found is we did the, uh, the cost benefit analysis. We had a lot of wise people tell us, you know, when you go into a fight and it's going to happen in the courts and it's going to be drawn out for months and sometimes years and whatnot, it becomes this all consuming uh, thing in this all consuming process that is going to suck all of your time and your and your attention and your energy and your creativity. And then you come out the other side. Hopefully you come out on top on the other side, but you're not guaranteed to come out on top on the other side. And you essentially just lost, you know, call it 18 to 24 months of your life being caught up in that fight. And you have to ask yourself, what could you have accomplished during those 18 to 24 months if all of your time and passion and energy and creativity goes into building the next thing instead of fighting for the last thing? And think, and about, think, think about this. That was two deals. I had two deals closed at the same time. When my wife reframed it to, look, it's two deals. That's what's so great about real estate. You know, it's big money. I was like, oh man, I can go do two more deals, make that back. And now I don't have to share it with her. And, you know, I'm going to be able to find a team or build a team around me that actually will support me growing this thing instead of all. I, I look back now and I didn't realize all the signs that she was giving me of why that partnership wasn't going to work out. Hindsight's always 2020, right? I know. But I mean, from I, real estate's one thing. And then when I got into education, I have dozens of stories of meltdowns like that. Like first, my very first webinar I ever put out. This was going back to 2010. I had no idea what a webinar was. I was just trying to pull this together. And I didn't realize that you, there's a mute button on a webinar. So we, we were going we to launch this, uh, this product. Where this is going. <laughs> oh, man. So at the time, I had a, a one-year-old son. I'm working out of my house. Uh, I, I was working out of a home office. I started Clever Investor in 2010, and we were going to launch this product called the Mobile Marketing Machine. One of the reasons people really liked doing business with me is because I was always really cutting edge and out in front of like a lot of the trends. And so I was on to email marketing and text message marketing and ringless voicemail marketing in 2010. Go all the way back to then. Mm -hmm. I was super cutting it. Nobody had any systems or software like that. So we built this software. We were going to launch it. It was called the mobile marketing machine. And we created a four-step launch sequence where they had to watch these four videos over the course of the week. And then at the end, there was going to be this big webinar, all the affiliates promoted into this webinar, and we were going to launch it. It was kind of going off the product launch formula. Well, I never have done a webinar 
And so the only thing I told my wife, because we pre-recorded the webinar, but we were going to do the Q&A at the end as live. Yep. And, you know, nobody knew who I was. So getting affiliates to promote into this thing was like a, a unbelievable feat. We had the biggest affiliates in the game promote. And so my reputation was riding on this thing being successful. And uh, the only thing I told my wife is, please just take Hudson and keep him quiet during this because I'm really nervous. I don't know how to really do what we're doing. And uh, so as soon as we launched the webinar, uh, we had two of them running. I was on one and there was a thousand people on it. And then my partner was on another one and there were supposed to be a thousand people on it. But unfortunately, we only set up a webinar to hold a hundred instead of a thousand. We set the wrong webinar Mm -hmm. setting up. So we had all these error message going. So that was like panic right out of the gate, we lost like 900 people viewing the webinar. So I'm like, okay, don't worry. I got it on mine. We still have a thousand people. We're going to, we're going to do okay. And up to this point, I probably invested like $65,000 into launching this thing. Yep. Getting everything right. Oh man. And so the the time was coming where we were going to go from the pre-recorded webinar to the, the Q and a session, which was live. And all of a sudden I hear my son at the door and he's banging on the door crying. And I'm screaming. I'm like, hey, Shannon, can you come get Hudson? And, and I don't hear anything. And he's just crying and crying. And I'm like looking at the timer, like it's counting down to the live Q&A. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting sweaty. I'm so nervous. I'm like, Shannon, come get Hudson. And uh, nothing. I'm like, Shannon, there's like 30 seconds left. Like, please come get this kid. Like I'm super stressed. And I don't hear anything. And I'm like pulling my hair out. I'm finally, he's, he's now ramped up to like a frenzy trying to get in the door. So you're I'm in like, a frenzy Shannon, and he's in a frenzy at the same time. He's in a frenzy. I'm in a frenzy. I'm panicking. I see it like 10, 9, 8, 7. And so I'm like, Shannon, if you don't get this fucking kid, I'm going to knock you out, please. All of a sudden, I see my chat roll in the webinar just going crazy. I didn't oh, no. know I wasn't, I wasn't muted. I felt so horrible. First comment, this is the greatest effing webinar I've ever been on. Next one. <laughs> You piece of, you know what? I would never buy from a piece of crap like you. All of a sudden you just see the viewership like dropping off. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm losing everybody. I'm so mortified that I did this. And I'm like telling everybody, I'm so sorry. I thought I was on mute. And uh, we ended up with like $6,000 in sales. It was a complete bomb. I had to go around to all, first off, I was like, my wife comes in, she's looking all pretty. And I'm like, where were you? And she was like, I was doing my hair. I'm like, I'm gonna kill you. So, uh, and then I had to go around all the affiliates. And did did so your marriage sorry. survive? Let's just get that out oh, there on the table. Yeah. First okay. off, my wife would whoop my butt. <laughs> like, like, it's not even like that. I was just, I was just going crazy. But moments like that, I had another moment where I hired a consultant and I was in Infusionsoft and I don't know anything about the technology of Infusionsoft. We were trying mm-hmm. to pull it all together. So I hired a consultant. I didn't know that the consultant accidentally deleted all my credit card data. A hundred percent of my continuity subscribers got deleted overnight. He never told me for about eight days, not knowing that Infusionsoft has a automatic email that goes out every time it tries to bill somebody that says, please update your credit card. So I went from, let's just call it $75,000 a month in reoccurring subscription to zero. And it's through all those moments. I'm only sharing some of this stuff with you because I know that's the theme of this podcast, but like all of those moments as an entrepreneur really were designed for me. I, I didn't understand it at the time, but like my strength and resilience and consistency right now is world-class. Like people see the millions of followers. They see, you know, the lifestyle. They see me with all these like super high level entrepreneurs doing big masterminds and speaking on big stages. If I wouldn't have gone through all that, if that didn't happen for me, there's no way I'd be as capable as I am right now. And I have this belief system that I want the big problems, give them to me. 
I can bear that pressure because it's either going to burst a pipe or create a diamond. And for me, I want to solve bigger problems. Like if you bring me little problems, like if I have my team bring me little problems and they don't have a solution, I kick them out of my office. I'm like, get out. Like, this is ridiculous. You know better. They better bring me a big challenge that we have to sit down together and solve that produces Mm -hmm. big results. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I love that you said these things happened for me. I I think that's a really critical mindset because so oftentimes we think to ourselves, why is all this stuff happening to me? And you just flipped that on its head and said, no, these things are happening for me. People probably don't realize that those are all the things that created your 16 year overnight success, right? Exactly. Because you can't control people. My, my dad used to say when I was a little kid, lower your people expectations. And I never understood what that meant. But he, he, he basically just says, you know, look, people don't rise to the occasion. They fall to their highest level of preparation. And that's the, a theme he said to me over and over as I was growing up. I never understood it until I got into business. Uh-huh. So cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing your your experiences with our audience. Can our listeners stay in touch with you? Yeah, so obviously if they uh, want to follow me on social media, at Clever Investor on all social platforms, if they want to learn about real estate investing, they can just go to cleverinvestor.com got tons of free training and downloads and, and help for you. And then if you are more on the entrepreneur side, I have another entrepreneur education company called the 100 million Academy. And if you go to go go.100millionacademy.com, we got a free training on there that tells you the not so secret secrets of becoming a <laughs> successful entrepreneur. We keep it real. Awesome. Final tip for our listeners. So going into 2021, what is the, what's the, the one tip or one piece of advice that you would like to give? Yeah, I think coronavirus has really done a good job of resetting a lot of us and putting things into perspective. You know, I think people that are focused right now on increasing their skills and capabilities by realizing they can't trust the government for a handout and they can't rely on a, on a job to keep the stability for them for themselves financially and that it's up to them to really create those skills that are gonna allow them to be safe as we move forward in the future. So thank God we have online education. Thank God we have the power that we do in the palm of our hand. Um, there's you know podcasts like this. There's a lot of great stuff online. You have no excuses not to be able to have multiple streams of income coming into your life. So that way, if one of them gets affected, it's going to be okay. You're still going to have other ones to, to fall back on. So lean in on that online education, self-educate, and then go out there and most importantly, put it to action. Because I I tell you what, if I didn't have my real estate, if I didn't have my multiple streams of income and all my side hustle businesses and stuff, I would have been stressed like a lot of the world was. So that's my advice. Love it. Thank you, Cody. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. For our listeners, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. At Harmon Brothers, we're known for what we call our hero campaigns. These are big nationwide campaigns for brands like Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple Mattresses, Lumi Deodorant, and many others. What makes these campaigns special is that they've helped scale those businesses by tens of millions of dollars each. Now, companies reach out to us on a regular basis wanting a hero campaign. They want that type of growth, they want that type of branding, and they want that type of awareness. But the simple reality is, Most businesses and entrepreneurs aren't yet quite ready for that level of growth. So we've built what we call a hero incubator that is designed to help entrepreneurs and companies prepare for a hero campaign and to be ready for the type of growth that they're looking for. The hero incubator starts with a marketing audit. 
We offer these marketing audits for free and you can apply for one at harmanbrothers.com forward slash audit.